This is Point of No Return, the addiction podcast, sponsored by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, this is Joni Siegel and... Jason Good. Awesome. And we are here to talk to you about the tough subjects, addiction, and ways to address it. In fact, one specific way that we know works. Jason, you mentioned the last time we were together that you were getting lots of calls from, well, two different ways. But at that point, you said it was parents who know that their kids have a problem, right. which is probably one of, we almost should back up and say, how do parents know when their kids have a problem? Because I, it, it, it's unreal to me that a parent wouldn't know. But I just think that sometimes we get so busy with our own lives and we don't observe things that we need to observe. That's very true. Um, And that's an interesting thing is that a lot of parents will call and say, I think my my son or daughter is having a problem. And I would say, well, what do you mean you think? Well, I think they're doing heroin. Um, (laughs) What makes you think that? Right. It's like, well... Let's back up. What's going on? Well, you know, we had dinner the other night, and um, he went face down in his mashed potatoes. Um, and then he picked his head up and said, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm really tired. And, uh, you know, school's been really tough, and my girlfriend wants a lot of attention, and so I just need to go to bed. Or I think they're doing heroin because they have no money all the time. They just got paid, and their paycheck's completely gone. And after they give me this list of really extreme behaviors i don't know where like the thought is like (laughs) i think they're on drugs they're most definitely on drugs right and so you know the other side of the coin is that you got parents that call and say my kid is a hundred percent doing drugs and they need help as soon as possible but the thing is is that does rehab even work because they've been to six programs right and so there's there's kind of two opposite Besides this whole thing, um, you get a lot of families that have this feeling that rehab, in a sense, doesn't work. Right. Because, like in my case, I went to rehab six times before I got sober. My parents were at the point of thinking that rehab doesn't work. And so parents will call me and ask me that question. Does rehab even work? Like, what's the point of me even sending them back to treatment? Because they've been to seven treatment centers and they come out, they're good for a month, and then they relapse. And then we pick them back up, we dust them off, we stick them back in treatment, they come out, this time they last six weeks, and then they fall again, pick them up, dust them off, and they keep doing this over and over again. So they start to feel as though treatment doesn't work. So my question is, then why are you calling me? Right. Well, if rehab doesn't work, you know, why are we having this conversation? Why did you see us on the internet and decide to call? Yeah. Every family has to have that small inkling that there's still hope Right. For their loved one left. And um, I always tell people when they ask me, well, does rehab even work after going through what a lot of families go through? I tell them they're asking me the wrong question. The right question to ask is, will this type of treatment work for my loved one? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Because this rehab program, the one that we talk about, Narconon Suncoast, Mm -hmm. or just Narconon for that matter, is not like other rehab programs. Right. And, and we, we talked last week about two of the main differences. So you can't compare Narconon to other rehab programs, I don't think. No, I mean, you're comparing apples and oranges. You're it, not comparing two like things. Right. And um, what's interesting to me is that families will send their loved one to a specific type of treatment, and then it doesn't work. And so... They pick them up, they dust them off, like I said, and they'll either send them back to the exact same treatment center they just came out of, Mm -hmm. or they'll find another treatment center with the same modality, expecting a different result. So they're doing the same thing that didn't work the first time, but they're expecting a different result this time. And who is it? Is it Einstein that says something like insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you'll get a different result? Well, it absolutely is insane. And it's, it's, yeah. It is insane because... If I if I were to do something and it didn't work the first time, I'm not the type of person that wants to do it again just to make sure that it doesn't work. Right. So so when parents, it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense that they would 
send their kid back to a treatment program that already didn't work. They right. already know it didn't work. Right. And like I said, I'm not the type of person that wants to do something twice just to make sure it doesn't work for me. <laughs> right. And so, you know, but unfortunately I did do that. And a lot of other addicts go through that because that's what their families want. Right. So usually they'll go through a treatment center, they'll fall. The family will, will usually call that treatment center and say, Hey, um, didn't work. <laughs> what right. do we do? And they'll usually suggest that they come back in. Okay. So the family will send their loved one back in. They'll come out. They'll fall again. And now this is when they'll look for a different treatment center, right. but that uses the same modality. Right. And that's the that's the biggest problem that I think Narconon faces as a treatment center is because so many people think that there's only one way to handle addiction because mm-hmm. you don't know to look for something else because the most common way to handle things is through you know, traditional 30 day psychiatric based treatment. And that's all, you know, when you're first starting your quest and getting clean, that's all your family gets to know. Because when you look up just the keyword rehab Mm -hmm. on on Google, you're going to come up with pages and pages and pages of traditional 28 to 30 day psychiatric based treatment. And so after, you know, not after a while, but initially that's all that's in your world. That's all that's real to you. It's like, this is how you handle addiction. And so, you know, a lot of families end up with their loved one having gone through treatment various times and call Narconon because they start to look for an alternative. Right. Because after that, that you know, traditional treatment doesn't work over and over and over, they're like, okay. That didn't work. What else is, is out there? Let's type in alternative to, to, to uh, traditional treatment. Okay. That's when Narconon starts to show up in search results. Okay. When you're looking for an alternative or you're looking for it specifically. Because like I said, I think on the first podcast... Um, you find Narconon when you're looking for an alternative. And right. one of the best ways that people find out about us is through word of mouth. Right. Through the families of one of our graduates or the graduate themselves. Right. And so that's when people find us. And, um, you know, families will end up calling me and saying, look, I don't even think rehab works at this point mm-hmm. because X, Y, and Z hasn't worked before. And so where we're at, where we're at now is like my kid is in a crack house or, you know, OD on or just OD'd on heroin. And we don't know what to do to help them. And I don't think your program's going to work. And I said, you don't even know about my program yet. Right. You're already telling me it's not right. going to work. And um, they have this feeling that they've failed their loved one right. over and over and over again because they failed to help them. Right. Because everything that they've done, all the money they've given them, all the, uh, the crisis situations they bailed them out of, all the uh, bills they've paid and debts they've paid and, you know, just cleaning up the addict's mess and plus all the rehab attempts and nothing's worked. They, they're at the point where they're so kind of beat up and battered by the fact that they've failed their loved one. It's kind of how they feel on some sort of subconscious level. Right. That they don't really know what to do. I, and I have to kind of guide them. And then, which brings me to like the two different kinds of addicts that I end up encountering. You've got the addict, the family that calls and their loved one is so beat up and battered by their lifestyle of using drugs, that they <laughs> they will kiss the ground of the treatment center the second they arrive mm-hmm. because they're so happy to be out of what ter- whatever terrible situation they had gotten themselves into. Right. That was that was me. Right. I was so excited to go to treatment because, <laughs> as I told you before, I was stuck in a crack house and I was right. being held against my will, and it was kind of a terrible situation. And for me, going to treatment and for a lot of other people, going to treatment's like a bailout. It's like, okay, you get to get out of a really sticky situation and go to a safe place. Right. Um, the other type is the type that is resistant to treatment that doesn't want help. Right. And I run into that more often than I run into someone that is willing to go to, willing to, go to treatment. Right. And so you end up running into families' questions of, okay, how do I force my, my child to go to rehab? Because will it even work if I'm putting them there against their will and they don't want it, they don't want to get better? How can you force someone into treatment? And I thought that was a very interesting and very loaded question because there's a lot you can do. There's a lot that you can't do. Right. But there are solutions to this problem. Well, that's that's good because I'm just thinking if someone flat out doesn't think they need help or doesn't want help. They're not they're not gonna make it through, I right. think. Well, one of the main reasons why an addict is resistant to going and getting treatment is because of this very kind of 
this very kind of simplistic description of what drugs do for a person. So if you look at it, drugs to an addict are a solution to a problem. Right. That's why addicts use drugs. They solve some sort of problem for them that nothing else in life that they've ever tried to solve has ever solved before. So why would I want to get rid of that solution? Yeah, it's your safety blanket. Wow. Right. And so for me, when I first tried cocaine, all my low self-esteem went away. My self-consciousness went away. I was energetic. I was talkative. And it solved all of these pretty deep-rooted problems for me that no counseling, no therapist, no nothing had ever solved before. So for me, the drug had a lot of value. Wow. And so initially, I was in denial about my addiction. I was just, quote unquote, dabbling and Mm. just experimenting. It's Mm. not a problem. And I'll let you know if it's a problem, all this stuff, because I didn't want anyone to take that away from me. Right. And so drugs are a solution to a problem for every addict. And every addict has different problems that the drugs are solving. You know, some people get get addicted to opiates because they have chronic chronic pain and and they have injuries. Yeah. Or... You know, one interesting thing that um, opiates do is that besides killing physical pain, they also dull emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And so some people with with whatever life scenarios they have will use the opiates to kill the emotional pain because they don't have a constructive way to deal with that kind of stuff. And so you've got a lot of addicts who don't want that security blanket yanked off them because if uh, if you do that, they mostly feel like they have no way to deal with life. Yeah, you know, that is that is fascinating to me because obviously the people looking at the addict go, oh my God, this guy's life is so messed up. Right. But the guy thinks he's doing fine. Yeah, he not, only, not only does he think he's doing fine, but he'll do anything he can to protect his addiction. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because they'll, yeah. Pr- they'll protect that addiction because I've talked to a few addicts and I got a really interesting origination from one of them. And that was, you know, I've been using drugs for so long. I don't even know who I am as a person anymore because I lost me a long time ago. Yep. Because when I started using drugs, it kind of took over everything. And I, and I developed a whole new way to deal with life i deal i you know i created new coping mechanisms and i created all these things and i also created a persona that's really not me but that's me under the influence of drugs and if you were to ask me who i am it's like i don't even know it was, wow I was like, whoa that, yeah that's heavy duty oh yeah but it makes it 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 makes total sense i don't think i ever looked at it from that viewpoint so you have somebody who if, if i've got something that i feel is making my life better however messed up it may be it's making my life better and i don't want you to take that away from me right because it's making my life better so how can it be wrong well how can it be you bad know? for me if exactly. it's doing all these wonderful things and what they what they fail to see is all the wreckage around them right while they're you know addicted to the to whatever substances they're addicted to they'll actually rationalize all the wreckage i used to rationalize my debt which was an interesting thing. It's fine that I have no money because I have this much money for this and this much money for this and I've got this for the cocaine and that's fine. All this stuff and I'll just pay that back later and I'll just borrow from Peter to pay Paul and do all these crazy things. And I would constantly rationalize being in debt because cocaine was a major expense I needed to like plan for. And if I didn't have that, it's like, well, then what do I do? Then I can't go to work and I can't you know, do all the things I'm responsible to do. Because if I don't have my drugs, I'm pretty much worthless. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so uh, addicts get really good at rationali- rationalizing how everything's okay. And so, okay, so now we're back to how... What does a parent do? What does a parent or do? Or a loved one do when the person is convinced that not only is this improving their life, that they have to have it in order to live or in order to survive. Right. And to an addict, that's what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. It's there's pure survival mode. Right. They're doing what they feel they have to do to survive. And the drugs is, is the number one thing that helps them to survive on a daily basis. So when it comes to how do you, how do you help someone that doesn't want help, realistically in treatment, in my experience at Narconon, half the people are there because they truly want to be there. They didn't really need to get handled. They were desperate. They're broken. 
and they were, like I said, kissing the floor as soon on their intake. Right. The other half of those people needed either an intervention or some level of coercion to get help because parents expect their loved one who's an, say, who's an addict to make a logical decision while they're under the influence of drugs. That's not going to happen. Right. And going to treatment would be a logical decision to someone that's addicted to drugs. I get it. And so <laughs> I tell parents, you know, you know, parents will call me and say, well, we don't know what to do. We can't get them to want to get help. We can't get them to agree to go to treatment. I say, you're asking them to make a logical decision and they're on drugs, which that in itself isn't logical. They're not going to do that. You know, most of them are not going to be able to make that kind of logical life choice. Because, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I mean, their logical life choices involve sniffing cocaine or shooting heroin or smoking meth or drinking a fifth of vodka a day or whatever it is. And, you know, parents. That's logic to them. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> exactly. And so. And so do people like Google interventionist? Yeah. And there's tons of them. And are, wow. And are those people, tip, people typically previous addicts is that how they're good at what they do so they know how to talk to an addict usually yeah i mean they're usually recovering addicts that got a counseling a counseling uh certificate and they call themselves like a licensed interventionist well here's a news flash on that there's all there's there's one state in the entire country that licenses interventionists, and that's Pennsylvania. So, so if I'm in Florida and I'm a licensed interventionist, you go, what you do? Go to Pennsylvania, get licensed? And yeah. yeah. Yes. Wow. And, and, okay. And you know, yeah, it's, it's so it's kind of a a racket almost because people will will um, benefit off families crisis situations. It, by saying, well, I'm a licensed interventionist and I will come out and I'll do all this stuff and it's going to cost you generally five to $10,000, whether it it goes right or, or not. So it isn't, wow. Well, so you can't it guarantee. Isn't, so it, yeah, so it isn't like it's $10,000 provided I get your person into, into rehab. It's just $10,000 for me to come and do it, win or lose. Yeah, it's $10,000 and that's... And, and what if, a and racket. If I, and if I don't get them into treatment, ooh, oh, sorry. Oh, well, you know. what a racket that is. Right, and we realize that. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of that out there. And, um, you know, it's it, for lack of a better word, it sucks for families because they're wow. already going through enough. And, and they're, they're willing to do anything to help. Mm-hmm. That's that's sad. I, yeah, that's a that's a sad point. Well, the positive point is we we conduct interventions every single week. Wow! Like I said, half the people at Narconon, and this is kind of a blanket statement, but half the people are there because they want to be, and half are not there because of a, because of an intervention. Okay. Do you do interventions? Yourself? Me personally, I don't go out on no? the interventions. We have three or four staff that are very very trained in how to do an intervention. Okay, and what kind of training do they get to do that? I'm just curious. Well, they are certified drug and alcohol abuse counselors, and okay. they also... Is there Narconon training specific Narcon- on intervention? There is Narconon training really? specific on okay. intervention. It's basically how to handle the family, how to handle the addict, and the way we do it, it's not like what most people think of when they think of an intervention. Like Most people think of the intervention as like, okay, so... We trick the addict to coming to a specific location where the whole family's sitting in like a semicircle, and when they've all got letters, and we're gonna read our letters to you about how much you're ter- how terrible you are, and how you've affected us, and all this stuff, and then everyone's gonna cry, and then the addict's gonna blow the room and blow off steam, and then come back and agree to go to treatment, and that is one type of intervention, but that's not the type that we do. Okay. One of the most successful ways to intervene on an addict is to work with them one on one, away from the family away from anyone that's highly emotionally involved in the situation and just work with them and get to the bottom of what's going on. Right. Because every addict runs into something different. Yep. And so what makes a good interventionist is the is the ability to handle another person, handle what their considerations are, make them feel comfortable and make them feel like they can be helped. And then you'll have yourself, you'll see yourself a successful intervention. Wow. Because the biggest thing that works for us is that you've usually got the whole family unit arguing. Right. In, in, in the instance that a person needs to go to treatment and the addict is resistant, you've got the parents highly charged up. You've got the addict highly charged up. The whole thing's like completely electrified 
when the when the interventionists get there, the best thing they do is they separate everybody. Right. It's like get the parents over here. Let's get the the addict over here. Let's get grandma like out. Well, I don't even know why she's here. Let's get right. her out of here. <laughs> right. And she does not need to know. Grandma what's thinks happening. you can go home now. Grandma does not need to know what's going on here. And um, we we usually send two people, two interventionists, two staff out to do one intervention. So one's going to deal with the family while someone deals with the addict. Right. And um. That's the best way to do it because the family has their own set of problems. The addict's got their own set of problems. And basically, it's like a giant family counseling session to where, you know, we deal with the addict's needs. We deal with the family's needs. We get the addict to a point where they agree to go to treatment and then we bring them back. So we don't hold anyone against their will. Right. We're not just like going out there with a black a, bl- a black a, a black bag <laughs> and throwing it over people's heads and bringing them to locking treatment them in a saying, room and saying, yeah, no. surprise you're in treatment yeah <laughs> you can't that's illegal it's called, i think that's called kidnapping i think so too I, and that's illegal in most states i, I don't know what the legal the legality is in florida i, but, I think it's illegal <laughs> <laughs> um anyway so we get their agreement to come to treatment that that's the whole it's like you don't back them into a corner to where they feel like they have no options because if an addict feels like they have no options, they're going to kind of ridge up on you harder. Right. So we get them to where they're making the choice on their own that they're going to go get help. And then we bring them in. And okay. so our interventions make for really successful graduates of the program that go and do really, really well. That's awesome. And so the que- the question of like, can you force your loved one to go to treatment? Absolutely. No. Actually, let me back up. No, you can't. But you can have help in getting their agreement to go get a treatment. Because right. if you stick someone in rehab that absolutely has zero desire to get clean and zero desire to stop using drugs and zero desire to change their lives. It ain't going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. And so most people think that's what you're doing on an intervention is that you're backing someone into a corner and saying, like, you either go to treatment or we're going to kick you out on the street and you're going to have no options and nowhere to go and you're going to be homeless and we're not going to give you money and like all this stuff. And in that instance, you, you have a person that is taking rehab because they have no options, but they have no desire to get clean. It's a big protest. Yeah. Kind of. It is. Absolutely. They're like trying to make everyone wrong by going to treatment. Right. And then they're going to make everyone wrong by relapsing when they're done. By proving it didn't work. By proving it didn't work. Because they shouldn't have been to rehab in the first place because nothing was wrong. Exactly. And why and, was everybody on their case about it? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so in interventions, all about getting the addict to agree to go to treatment because they have realized that they need help. That what they're doing isn't working. And that's what we do. Right. Another thing that sets us apart. And you don't charge extra for that. No. It's I like mean, they they agree to do the program. Great. There's a price for the program. They don't agree to do the program. Okay. Okay. Now, the only thing that is charged is like depending geographically. Oh, if you have to travel If we way. have to travel and like buy plane tickets and stuff, yeah. that would be a charge. But we're not going to charge you if I were $10,000 for an intervention, you know. Right. You just have to pay for us to get there. Right. Um, so we it's an at cost. Right. Intervention. Right. And, um, you know, our staff truly care. Is the other the other thing you get with us is that there's a strong care factor mm-hmm. where you don't get that in other treatment centers. Like I was in a treatment center in North Miami that I was one of 120 people and there were six staff that managed all of us. Wow. And if I ever wanted to get a staff's attention, when I would get their attention, they'd be like, oh, okay, I'm really busy. What do, you, what do you need? What do you want? And it's like, okay, you know what? I don't want to talk to you now. Right. <laughs> Forget <laughs> I asked. Forget it. And you didn't really feel like anyone cared about you. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the response from our students that I get is that we actually care about them because we've all been there. We know what it's like to go through this process. And so, and a lot of us who work at Narconon are products of these interventions. Yep. <laughs> and so we know... We know what it's like to to need that really strong care factor when you're going through treatment because you're in a really vulnerable state where you kind of don't know which end is up. You know, you've usually got all these different areas of your life that are completely screwed up that need to be put back together. And it can feel overwhelming at times and knowing that you can go to someone and just say, hey, I'm having a really tough time right now. Right. And that person is going to drop what they're doing and sit down with you and like 
handle things with you yep. is a really cool thing. Yeah. And I noticed that with Lori when she was graduating. Lori, is that the right name? Yes. When she was graduating that she thanked almost every single staff member at Narconon who had been with her at some step along the way, right. whether it was withdraw or the sauna or the um, objectives or the courses, but just someone had been, and, and even just someone, I think it was a roommate, you know, just, but she thanked everybody there because it's, it's not, it's not just something you can put a Band-Aid on. I mean, it's something that is, is a long-term care type of situation. Absolutely. And she thanked everybody there. I remember everybody meant a lot to her because they had really seen her through this whole journey. Right. And and the, the way the program is laid out is that there's different staff that can help you along the way. Um, I even had a student come up to me on their graduation and thank me. And I'm a person that also does a lot of promotion and marketing and I do the blogs and the website stuff and all that. And the podcast. And, and, the, po- and the podcast. <laughs> and they came up and thanked me. And I'm like, okay, what did I do? <laughs> and they said, well, um, I don't know if you know this, but I read one of the articles that you wrote on, I think it was methadone. And had I not read that, I never would have called. I never would have ended up here. And I never would have gotten clean. And like the hairs on the back of my neck, like stood up. I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. But that's you, why you do what you do. Exactly. And so you've got different staff that help you along the way. And so it's just the way it's laid out is very cool. And I'm such a proponent of this program because of what I see it do on daily basis, especially for those that one were resistant to come to treatment in the first place. And two, the ones that failed treatment over and over again. Yep. And never could get clean. And they finally found an alternative, which happened to have been Narconon, and that like their whole world just kind of shifted and everything became fine again. And so, you know, I, I like how the program is designed to hit and handle both of those major considerations that families will have of does rehab even work anymore, mm-hmm. like, or at all? Or how can I get my loved one into treatment who doesn't want help? Right. And so I think it's really cool because those ordinarily would be two types of people that other centers would be like, yeah, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But you're a throwaway you're addict. A throw, you're, oh, God. Don't get me started on that one. That <laughs> one just, I, you know, I don't know if it's the mother in me or what, but I'm like, how could you possibly say that to someone who's looking for your help? But before you talk, I just want to mention for anybody that's just tuning in, this is the Point of No Return podcast, and it is sponsored by Narcan on Suncoast. And how can they reach Narcan on Suncoast if they need to, Jason? Well, they can reach us in one of two ways. They can call us at 877-841-5509, or they can visit narconon-suncoast.org. Awesome. So I have a question. The average, or not the average, but the, the I don't know how to put this, The how many rehab programs typically do the people who come to Narconon have they been through? How many how many rehab programs? I don't think I can make a fair determination because every addict has such a different story. Yeah. But I can definitely say this, is that they've all been to at least one to two treatment centers before coming here. Hmm. And, you know, for whatever reason, those treatments haven't worked. Right. But there's something I wanted to bring up that I think is really important. I read a... Uh, I read an article, I think it was about two weeks ago, that this new study came out about length, like what the necessary length of rehab should be. Mm -hmm. And so you've got most treatment centers out there that are 28-day programs. Right. Now, do you know why they're 28 days? Because that's when insurance stops paying. Right. So that's an... (laughs) That's when insurance stops paying. What's wrong with that picture? Right. So that's... Guy's not not fixed. Guy's not better. Oh, sorry. Not going to pay anymore. Right, that's when insurance runs out. And right. so uh, there's this there's this false information that goes around that's like, oh, well, they say it takes 28 days to break a habit and 28 days to create a new one. So that's why rehabs are 28 days. It's like, no, no, the, the insurance companies came up with the standard of 28 days is what we'll pay for. And then you're then like, ready or not, you're out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read this article. That's messed up. I just want to say that's really messed up. It is. It's my editorial comment. Okay. Sorry. Your article. <laughs> so I read this article that was talking about, you know, what what the most, what the, the proper length of treatment should be 
for the best outcome possible, which is that a person stays sober. And they said, you know, while most treatment centers are 28 days, and this article actually mentioned because that's what insurance companies will pay for, the longer a person is engaged in some sort of rehabilitation, whether it be inpatient, whether it be outpatient, you know, or continuing care, whatever, the longer they're engaged in a rehabilitation program, the the better their chances of long-term success. So I came up with this thought. I'm like, right, because there's no short-term solution for long-term sobriety. Right. Because... Well, how long did it take the guy to become an addict? He didn't... I know that you, you see things and say, well, you know, like one hit and you're addicted. But, right. but to get into that whole pattern of addiction and having to have the drug or having to have alcohol in order to survive, that doesn't happen overnight. I don't think it happens in 28 days necessarily. No, and, and you know, addiction is one of those things that it happens. Its progression is usually kind of slow to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And then usually within in my experience, a year or two, then you've got a person with like a full-blown addiction. Things are completely out of control. And so addiction is like this very multi-layered thing. I always say you got to peel the onion, the layer of the onion back. Like, right. you know, you got to peel the addiction away because it's layer by layer. And so, you know, the Narcodon program is a three to four month program. I'm going to put that out there for three those. Three to four months. So okay. for people that don't know that, it takes three to four months to get through the Narcanon program, but we're not going to kick you out. They say after the fourth month, we're, right. we're open-ended. So like a person can stay as long as they need to, to handle whatever issues that they have, whatever, whatever it is that they run into in life until that's dealt with, they'll be with us. I think it's, that's a really key point that you make. You're going for a product, right? Has nothing to do with amount of time. It's, it, you know, a program like that is not a one-size-fits-all because everybody has different problems for which those drugs became a solution. And I think one of the things that sets you guys apart is it's not just like, oh, 28 days, by you're out of here, or four months. Okay, well, you've been here 120 days, you're out of here now. You're going for the product. Right. You know, for the guy clean and knowing he's clean and can stay clean. Right, and it always boggles my mind <laughs> because you'll have someone that will – go to a 28 day treatment center. And so the first step is they'll go through detox and they'll go through their detox. They'll go through the sickness of coming off drugs though, which leaves them about two and a half to three weeks left for some group therapy, AA meetings, one-on-one counseling, whatever, 28 days are out the door. And when I compare, when I compare that to where a person is 28 days into the Narcanon program, it's like, they're still at the beginning. Yeah. They're still, they're still in sauna. Some people are in the sauna more than 28 days. Usually. Yeah. I mean, people are in sauna between 21, 35 days. Yeah. Um, depending on the person, how fast they detox. But, you know, I can't imagine only going to treatment for 28 days and coming out and feeling like you're ready to like take on the world and you're going to be fine because you're going to fall flat on your face because you can't handle every side of an addiction in 28 days. It doesn't make logistic sense that you could possibly do that like i said there's so many layers to addiction and you got to kind of slowly peel them away it takes time yep and like you said uh, you know addiction is not formed overnight it can't be handled in 28 days and that's absolutely true which also brings me to one of the one of my pet peeves is that i'll have people call me at the center who are looking just for an acute detox center is as a substitute for treatment Really? Because a lot of people have considerations on either the amount of time that they need to spend to go to treatment. So just get me off the drugs and then I'll deal with it from there. Right. They think that, you know, if I just get through the sickness, and it's usually opiates. Right. If I could just get through the sickness, I'll be fine and I can like go go to work and I can continue my life as normal. And it, it, I don't really need to handle all these like the issues and the deep stuff. And I don't really want to do much work is what they're really saying. Right. I just need to get through the detox. I need to get put on, you know, Suboxone and I'll stay on that for a while and I'll be fine. And it's like, okay. And, I, and I'll, I'll be very poignant with people. Not I will poignant. S- He'll be pointed. Pointed. Yeah. Was there poignant. You go. I poignant think a, means sad. Oh, <laughs> oops. Wrong. Wrong choice of words. I'll be very pointed with people. Um, I'll say detox isn't treatment. It's not. 
detox is detox. Detox is you go in, you get through the sickness, and then you're supposed to go to treatment from detox. But you cannot substitute a long-term treatment center for a detox. You can't just go to detox. It's not going to work. And I've never, ever, ever, and I'm saying ever, never seen it work. That person went to detox, got through the sickness, and then went about their life like nothing happened. Right. Like there's a reason why <laughs> long-term treatment is necessary. Right. Because like I said before, there's no short-term solution to get long-term sobriety. It can't happen. If you want to achieve long-term sobriety, generally speaking, you're going to need to go to a long-term rehab because the one thing that you have in long-term sobriety is that the treatment center you went to handled the underlying causes to your addiction and actually got you to the point where you don't feel like you need to consistently self-medicate to handle your problems. Right. And that you've actually handled those problems. Mm -hmm. And so it always bothers me when people say, you know, I just need to go to detox because like I can't take time off from work and, or I can't leave my family or, you know, my dog really, really needs me and I can't leave my dog for a certain amount of time. And that is an actually real objection I got. I can't leave my dog because Sorry. my dog will get depressed and my dog needs me. Okay, well then stay on drugs. This is See what how I that said. works for this you. This is what I said to the guy. I said, how's your dog, who's going to take care of your dog when you overdose and you're dead? Because you only went to detox because you wanted to be there for your dog. I get that. I have pets. I would hate to leave them, but who, but honestly, who's going to take care of them if I'm dead? Did that work? I don't know. Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. Not sure. I never followed up with him. Oh, man. Never heard from him again. But I mean, that was like one real extreme example. But, right. you know, people have all these considerations on why they can't go to long term treatment or, you know, any treatment other than detox. And they're usually it's usually time, work or family. And I always tell them, it's like, what do you, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to you to all the time you have all the time you can't lose at work? The fact that you don't want to lose your job. And the fact that you don't want to leave your family or pets, all of that's like moot points if you're dead. Right. Because, I mean. It's a moot point if you're dead. It's a moot point there if you're you dead. <laughs> there I mean, that, there's nothing more yeah. to say about that. Exactly. It, it's like people don't realize that it's a, it's a seriously life and death situation when it comes to addiction. And, you know, you have to kind of navigate people through these things. And some of those people that were initially looking for detox, I was actually able to like make them understand that that's not a, a viable option for them. Right. And some I didn't. And so, you know, for all those people out there that think that um that you can substitute detox for treatment, you can't do that. Hmm. You, you need long-term treatment if you want to handle your addiction to the, to the fullest extent that you could possibly do it. Right. Well, and the, even if we don't look at it from the viewpoint of time, and that's a good article that basically points out it's not going to happen in 28 days. But even if you don't look at it from that viewpoint... Separate from the the uh, withdraw is or the detox is the uh, sauna program, right? And that, like we talked about that, that's where you know that you don't have the craving anymore, because just doing withdraw or just doing a acute detox is that what you called it? Acute detox. Acute yeah. detox. You still have it in the fat cells in your body, right? And you may think, oh, well, I've stopped now. I don't need it anymore. But then you go out and you exercise because you're trying to get healthy. And boom, you got the cravings again. And you're right back in that same vicious cycle. Right. And also with with like, like with most detox centers, the, the answer to drugs is putting people on other drugs. Right. And so there's this um, drugs are the solution to drugs mentality. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things I have the most problem with is people getting on methadone or suboxone for opiate addiction because all they've done is they've traded one addiction for another addiction. Now right. they came off the street drugs and went on the pharmaceutical drugs. And when you go to detox centers, generally speaking, they're going to put you on either one of those drugs. They're probably going to put you on some, you know, sleeping stuff or anxiety medication or other things. And then after you leave, if you go to a traditional treatment center, you usually continue those medications. You know, maybe not at the level that you were on when you're in detox, but then you continue that. Right. And so there's that drug for drug mentality. Right. That to me, that's not someone that's clean <laughs> because you're not off drugs. Mm -mm. You've traded one addiction for another. And it's like kind of like, well, let's just like fight fire with fire. Let's fight drugs with drugs. And that does not make any sense that to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. Right. And um, 
that's kind that's of bizarre. Well, that's a mainstream mentality. <laughs> that's a bizarre mentality. I haven't heard that one, but yeah, the drugs are the answer to drugs out there. And so that to me, that's not a viable solution either. Um, and like you were talking about that the sauna is a really important step. I mean, for most addicts, I mean, if you ask most addicts what they struggle with the most, as far as like staying sober, it's the, it's the cravings, right? It's like the fact that they cannot stop obsessing about using this drug, whatever the drug of choice is. Mm -hmm. And so like, I was the type of addict that I was like, if you can make my cravings go away, I will not use drugs again because I don't even want to use them, but I'm so compelled and obsessed with using them that if that mental part of it gets handled, I'll stay sober. I promise. I think, and, I think you said you dreamt about cocaine. Oh, uh, yeah. You, that, that's very typical yeah. of any addict is that when you stop using, you'll have dreams about it. You will think about it. You'll crave it. You'll obsess in your mind about it. And there'll be times when you can smell it or taste it. And there's no like reason for you to be able to smell or taste it. Wow. And so, you know, the sauna is a crucial thing when it comes to detox, because, you know, part of the Narconon program, since we've been talking about detox, one of the biggest parts of Narconon, like the first half of the program is dealing with like detoxing your body. Right. As you go through withdrawal, which is the acute detox, which, you know, for the, for the people that are listening, it's a drug free withdrawal. You know, it's a medically supervised drug free withdrawal. And then you get into sauna that, you know, continues to handle, you know, your body on a very, on like a, in a long-term, like chronic basis, because people chronically deal with cravings, mental obsessions, and complete fixation on drugs. And that's due in part to the fact that the drugs are still in their fat tissue once they stop using. Right. And so, you know, an important part of any rehabilitation program should be detox. Yep. And it should be acute detox followed by a long-term detox that clears the body out and allows the person's cravings to go away and to free up some mental space from thinking about drugs 24-7 and dreaming about them when you're asleep. <laughs> and so, you know, that's a vitally important thing. And that, to me, to me, that's a great, that's my favorite part of the program is when a person says, I can't stop using this. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop dreaming about it. I can't stop obsessing about it. All I want to do is my drug. And then they do sauna. And then not only have they regained a ton of their physical health, they've gained some healthy weight back and they've got a kind of that, I call it the sauna glow mm -hmm. because your, your skin kind of glows and you yep. look super healthy and you're <laughs> like, you know, here I am. Um, and then they, they come up and tell me that their cravings went away or they had some painful condition turn off or whatever it is. And it's like that first major win that they can have yes. and say, I, they, and all of a sudden sobriety becomes this thing that they can have. Right. Because they had like this thought that I can't ever, especially the ones that have failed treatment before is like, I can't have sobriety. They feel like it's something that they can't have. Right. And once they hit this win in the sauna and, and they think that they can have it, it's like awesome. Yeah. I it's, can imagine. I can imagine. It's really awesome. And I heard it, as I told you, with some of the people who had completed the sauna program at Narcanon a couple weeks ago. And that yeah. was that was where they started originating things. And that's where you usually hear it. Yeah. That's usually when they start to speak up about like, okay, whatever you, you guys are, you guys are onto something right. here because I this feel, I feel amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's really important for, you know, the families that are listening to this podcast to know that there are answers if rehab hasn't worked before. Right. There are answers if your loved one doesn't want help and the you know sobriety is something that's available to anybody that wants it yep and it's something that they can have yep so i you know well this program it definitely debunks the whole idea that addiction is a disease it's something you're always going to have you know you're just weak minded it just debunks a lot of that because you look at the people who've come through it and it's it's amazing. And they say one for one, they feel like they felt when they were a little kid. They felt mm -hmm. they feel like they felt before they ever started on drugs. Right. Interesting. And, you know, we like to blow the disease concept out of the water. Mm -hmm. Because when you say, when you say that you have a disease, and, oh, I'm sorry, I, I screwed up again because it's because I have a disease. And I'm sorry I shot up again. But you know what? 
you know, have a disease. And what it does is it takes the responsibility off the addict and puts it onto some like disease. Yeah, I'm not responsible because I have a genetic disease or I have some sort of a disease. And so I have to go back to cocaine. Or it's ah. a spiritual malady. Yeah, whatever. Um, and yeah, it takes the responsibility off the addict and puts it on this disease. And it's like, well, I'm powerless. And they're t- in, in traditional rehab, addicts are taught that they're completely powerless over this entire situation. There's, that they have no control, they have no power, that, and that the first step is that they have to admit it to like themselves and God and whomever that they're completely powerless over this whole thing. And part of bringing people in to Narcanon is like undoing that part. It's like, no, you're the only one that has the choice about whether or not you're going to be sober. As a matter of fact, you're the only one that has enough power to change everything that's going on. Right. And, you know, we put the responsibility onto the addict right because okay, if you look at it essentially they are the ones responsible for all of this yeah it's not a disease yep. that made them do what they did because the disease didn't make them try drugs the first time you know what did it was their choice right they chose to take drugs that first time yeah it was offered to them or it was prescribed to them or they broke it you know to mom dad's liquor cabinet or whatever it was they made that initial choice to use drugs you know, a disease didn't just like start one day and they had this like, you know, epic change that came over them. They're like, I need to compulsively sniff cocaine and I need to start shooting heroin. <laughs> I don't know why this is really weird, but I'm just compelled to do this now. It's not rea- It's not the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and so essentially it's, it's their choices, it's their decisions, and it's the, the consequences of those choices and decisions that landed them in the predicament that they're in when they come in the doors. Right. And so a lot of them that have gone to, you know, traditional treatment that are like, but I'm diseased, you know, I I can't control this. It's like, we have to slowly kind of undo that and then put the responsibility back on them because essentially at the end, at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to get themselves through the program. They're the ones that are going to do all the work to fix their lives. We're just, we're just going to guide them. You give them the tools and then they have to use them. They, They have to go through it. Yeah. So, I mean, for those of for those of the people that are listening that don't know, is that we are not a disease model type of treatment. Right. We don't think people are diseased. Right. They make bad choices. Good people make bad choices yep. and they end up, you know, after a long series of bad decisions, they end up with a full-blown addiction that they have no control over at that point. Right. The cool part, going back to the sauna, is that after a person does sauna, that's when they get their power of choice back. Right. Because now that they're not physically addicted to the drug anymore, it's not in their body and they're not craving it. They're not obsessing about it. And they can actually now make the choice to not use. Right. And then so it begins. There you go. What percentage of people come to you because their loved ones sent them to you or because they came on their own? Very rarely do I get a person calling on behalf of themselves. Right. Except for saying, the ones who want the acute detox. Those guys, well, yeah. <laughs> very few people end up in the program who called themselves saying, this is for me. I need help for myself. Normally, it's a family member that has called. Interesting. And, and gotten them and gotten the ball rolling to get them into treatment. Um, for some reason, the most the people that usually end up starting is when a mother calls for their son. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Um, I have two boys. It makes total sense to me. (laughs) I Um, can see that. Yeah. And and also, you know, in, I don't know what, I don't know why, but in, in, in addiction, you've got more males that get addicted than females. And there, and, 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 and in a lot of treatment centers, there's always more male clients than female clients. Interesting. So for some reason, whenever a mother calls for their son, it's like they end up starting and it's a really interesting thing. Um, and so, most of the people that are there, it's because a loved one called for them. Okay. A loved one, you know, initiated the phone call, did the research, um, found out about the program, and then we guided them through the process of getting their loved one, you know, signed up and enrolled and arrived. Right. Um, but very rarely does a person end up coming in that called for themselves. Interesting. I was curious about that. And I was also curious to know if you if you have any idea, like, what percentage of addicts come to Narcanon and it's their first rehab program? Very few. Um, that's what I'm thinking. Very, very few. Um, now, there are some people that come and it's their first treatment program. Okay. Like, 
they somehow already knew about Narcanon. They knew what it was about. Right. And then their loved one got into trouble and they're like, you're going to Narcanon. Right. Um, but that's more rare. Okay. Than, than, than it isn't. You know what I mean? So most of the people, like I say, three quarters or more that come through, it's not their first treatment program. Right. It's, you know, they've been around, it's not their first rodeo. They've been through it. They, you know, and what they've been doing hasn't been working. Yeah. And so on their search for alternatives, they found us. Right. So, you know, I want people to still, I want people to keep finding us. I right. want people to still constantly search for that alternative and to know that there are options out there. And the more we do these podcasts and the more Narconon makes itself known, the more people that will know about it and that can benefit from it. Right. And I think that's a really key point. And for anybody listening who has a friend or has a loved one and you suspect or you know that they're using, this is hope for you. This is hope for them. I mean... If you're listening and you know someone like that, you just want them to get better and you do just about anything to help them get better. And I think that's one of the things we offer with this podcast is hope, hope for the addict and hope for the loved ones of the addict, because this is not, this is not the rehab that you're used to. And this program works. Agreed. It's a good thing. So because of that, we are going to be here every week, Jason and I, and we're going to keep talking about addiction and talking about narconon and how it works and we'll be here again next week i'll see you then thanks jason thank you you have been listening to point of no return the addiction podcast sponsored by narconon suncoast narconon suncoast is a residential rehab center that focuses not only on becoming drug free but staying drug free by addressing the underlying causes of addiction. The Narconon program is based on technology developed by L. Ron Hubbard. For more information on Narconon Suncoast, go to www.narcononsuncoast.org or call 877-841-5509. That number again is 877-841-5509.